Welcome to 52 Pearls, the weekly money wisdom podcast. I'm Melissa Joy, a certified financial planner and founder of Pearl Planning. And I'm joined by Melissa Friedenberg, Pearl Planning Financial Advisor. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. (laughs) You're never going to forget our names because, of course, we're both named Melissa, children of the 70s. So each week we provide a bite-sized actionable tip that we hope will help you make better financial decisions. The purpose of our podcast is to accompany our weekly financial tips, which we call 52 Pearls. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to sharing along the way. Welcome back to the 52 Pearls Money Wisdom Podcast. It's Melissa Joy here, and I am so pleased to be joined by Renee Baker, who is the head of Advisor Inclusion Networks at Raymond James. Renee leads diversity and inclusion efforts for all private client group advisor networks. That's the Women Financial Advisor Network, Black Financial Advisor Network, and the Pride Financial Advisor Network in support of the recruitment and retention of diverse financial advisors. Renee is also a good friend, a mom, a wife, and a really cool person. Welcome to the podcast, Renee. Oh, well, thank you so much, Melissa. I am just so happy to be here having this conversation with you. So we're recording this in the middle of June, and we scheduled this conversation early May. But the conversation is on wealth gaps, both for women as well as within races, and how we can address the wealth gap in the country and how we can have more diverse access to financial advice. So it's a very timely topic. Um, Ironic that it was scheduled before the world kind of changed significantly after the killing of George Floyd, but it's an important conversation to both of us 365 days a year. Yeah, that's actually a dialogue that, you know, we've been having um, over time. And just like when you think about conversations that we had over the last year and what we had earlier, just think about when we last saw each other in March. (laughs) A lot has changed since then. So, Oh, my gosh. We saw each other in Michigan the first week in March, right before the world kind of shut down. And we packed a lot of life into the last three months. Yeah. So, you know, who knew, but um, here we are. (laughs) Well, to frame the conversation, I wanted to get started by talking about your role. So we just described that you were responsible for, for supporting a huge group of financial advisors, all of the women financial advisors at Raymond James, the Black Financial Advisor Network, as well as the brand new Pride Network. Mm-hmm. So that is a lot on your shoulders. Can you describe, you know, why there needs to be someone who is responsible for supporting these groups of people? Yeah, sure. Um, definitely uh, a big change in thinking about my evolution in financial services and right. for me to be at this moment in time where supporting about 1,500 financial advisors around women, financial advisors, black financial advisors, and then the launch of the Pride Financial Advisors Network. But at Raymond James, you know, one of the things that really drew me to this culture when I joined the firm is that this business has always been about people. And in this case, it's always been about all people. And when you think about these three different areas that I'm supporting and the need to have these different networks, it's really about how are we supporting the communities that we represent? How are we providing those resources to help them feel much more part of the community? And I'm not saying that they're not included. 
I'm just saying that there are opportunities and resources that are needed when you're communicating with women. And there are differences when you're communicating with Black, whether you're talking to advisors, and in some cases, how advisors are talking to their clients. And then with the Pride community, we're still, there's so much education and information that's necessary. So while I see that we're supporting all of these three different networks, there are so many different, there are a lot of similarities, but there's also a lot of differences. And with our women's network, one of the wonderful things that I love around our, our women's network, this network has been around for over 25 years. And if you think about those, in, those of us that have been in this industry for a long time, that was before a lot of these women initiatives that really started to take place. So we are having that conversation. We've been having that conversation at Raymond James and supporting women and leading the way and looking to bringing more women into the industry, into our firm. And the same with our Black Financial Advisors. Um, that initiative with Black Financial Advisors Network started in 2013. So here we are seven years into this journey. And how can we recruit more individuals into the firm? And all three of the networks, and we just launched Pride uh, last week. So congratulations. Uh, yeah, thank so you. Cool. So just an exciting time. But all three of these groups are they're just underrepresented. So we're looking to increase representation within our um, industry and also within our firm. So within the industry, on average, uh, we're about 15, 16 percent for women. That's been pretty flat over the years. Yeah, it's about, been a persistent number going back for to years. the 80s or 90s. Right. And while there more men are entering the industry, so you're not seeing that number change, although more women are also entering the industry. Um, black financial advisors, less than 2% are, are Black financial advisors or you know, have a CFP designation. Same for CFPs, right. Same, same for CFPs. And when you think about that percentage in comparison, how do we move the needle when we're not seeing as many Black financial advisors um, enter the, the industry? And then with pride, too soon. So there's a lot of information and data points and information that we're trying to get. At the end of the day, we really want to create a sense of collaboration and sense of community here that everyone can feel you know, truly valued and welcome to bring their best self to Raymond James. I think that when you, because I've spent a long time really focusing on boosting access to careers for women in financial advice. It's, it's a passion of mine. I devote a lot of time in order to support that. I think the reason that we want that is twofold. First, as there are more women in the room, you can change the context of the financial advice for everyone in the room because mm -hmm. you get a better perspective for the people that you're advising. Because in many, many cases, you're, you're advising both women or husband and wife, um, heterosexual couple. Yeah. There is a twofold, you're, you're helping the careers and the diversity and, you know, of course, diversity and inclusion is powerful, but really specifically, you're, you're making all financial advisors better yes. and you are also providing increased access because people often look to talk to someone who they feel comfortable with and there's an affinity to be being comfortable with people like you. So if we are only typically white and male Mm -hmm. then there may be people who don't feel comfortable accessing financial advice. And oh, that's so, a good point. So, you know, then when you look at the numbers for Black and Hispanic financial advisors, which are even more considerably lower in terms of representation, then the same thing goes. I will be a better financial advisor as I know 
more black financial advisors so that I am able to give more nuanced advice with better perspective culturally. And so the work of increasing and boosting the numbers, I believe, will result in better outcomes for people because financial advice really does make a difference in your life. Yeah, thank you uh, for for that perspective. And I, I agree. I mean, relationships are important, right? And as we broaden our circle of connections and influence and the people that we know, like they say, you know, you are just as good as your closest 10 friends. And if you really look at that individual group of people that we surround ourselves with, how diverse is it? And when we talk about, you know, see it, be it, that doesn't just apply to when I see someone in the workplace that looks like me, whether it's a woman, it's a black person, does that, do I feel like I have a better connection? It's also when it comes to financial advice that sometimes people don't feel like they have access. When you have those relationships, and I think that women are great, just for an example, I think women are, they build amazing relationships. And just having that dialogue and that conversation to help people feel comfortable, no matter who they are, um, is really important. And then when you see it, right, I, I don't remember as a child growing up in, in a small town in Southern New Jersey that I've ever seen a woman financial advisor, and I certainly never saw a Black financial advisor. And I probably didn't, honestly, probably didn't realize that they were financial advisors until after I was off to college. How did you find your way into finance if you'd never, you know, there's not like an LA law back in the day for how to be a stockbroker or go into the world of finance? How did, yeah, and, how did you find it? So, and, and I wasn't a big TV person then. I'm still not now. So <laughs> when I was younger, I wanted to be an astronaut. And I, I went to space camp and I definitely knew that that was going to be my journey. And from a small town, I didn't see any astronauts, but that was my exposure on, on TV. I think back to the Challenger disaster mm-hmm. and how that shook my world and definitely changed my perspective. It was fear that drove me to then focus in on more biology and wanting to be a doctor. So then when I got to college, that's what I majored in. Initially, I majored in biology. Then I got too close and we got to the cadavers. And (laughs) what freaked me out about the cadavers, it wasn't that it was freaking me out. I wasn't afraid of it. It was more about the fact that I wanted to know their stories. I had so many questions about who they were, where they come from, what happened to them. And I remember being pulled to the the office. I can visualize it now being called into the, the office and the, the career person at the university said, you know, maybe this isn't the career for you. You care too much about the people and their stories. At the time, you know, I was just like, yeah, okay. But now when I reflect back on it, and they said, you should consider finance where you're not going to be as connected because you're doing great in math and science. But you, did you ever consider finance? And I'm like, no. But when I reflect back on it, my whole career has really been centered on people. And if I didn't have that access to being, I remember sitting in my first um, business class and sitting in finance, I had never had access to that information as a child. Um, It's not something that my parents talked about. It's not something that I learned about even in high school. I don't know anyone who ever talked about a stock or any, or a bond or any sort of investment. Me neither. I was such an, so green when I (laughs) stumbled upon a career in, in financial world. But I, I got to say, I mean, that, that guidance counselor, that career counselor, or whatever they call it, definitely sent me on a trajectory that I don't regret because having access to that information and then introducing my family to this conversation and my friends really changed my life. And 
I don't regret it. I've been in this industry my entire career. This has definitely been something that's been very transformational. So when I get the opportunity today in my current role to work so closely with financial advisors and talk about the things that are so important to how we really move the needle. And although I'm focused on a lot of from recruiting and helping to support our financial advisors, there's something to be said about the need to inspire others to learn more and invite them into a conversation around financial literacy and financial well-being that maybe they've never had before. We are both in helping roles. Mm -hmm. And it's powerful that you have a finance background. You Although you're very well versed on diversity and inclusion, that's not kind of your career. Your career is finance and expanding and telling stories because you um, spend a lot of time marketing for financial companies. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and we need some good marketing to bring more people into the profession because I've just been banging my head against the wall for the last five years as I worked on increasing the numbers of women. It's not going to work if we just try to recruit other women who have already chosen to be financial advisors because there's such a deficit in the percentage. Mm -hmm. Um, Same when you think about um, other representative, underestimated or underrepresented groups. So we've got to find a way to inspire and challenge and motivate people who had not typically found careers in finance to join us. That's why conversations with colleges or high schools are important and kind of getting the word out. So I think this is in a way a little bit of a public service podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Talking about how how important things are. Because even as, I mean, I'm sure you know, Melissa, but even as you're talking to individuals, a lot of women that have been in this industry, including some of, and many of the advisors that are within the inclusion networks that I support, this wasn't their first choice. And I don't think I've ever talked to a child who says, when I grow up, I'm going to be a financial planner, um, unless their parents are already in that business, right? Right. People don't know about this industry. So when you say, you know, how do you market this industry to the perception not be what you see in a movie um, and really understand that while I'm good at math and sciences and many people are, you don't need to be good at math and sciences to be able to be part of this profession. You have to be about people. You have to be relationship oriented and you can hire around you and you can have a diverse group of people to support you and helping. But this is a relationship built business that people do not know about. And the more we get the word out, the more that there are great examples of professionals like yourself, the better it will be because you really do need to see it in order to be it. You know, that kind of brings us to a secondary conversation. So I Mm -hmm. described how important I think it is to expand access to financial advice. And one of the reasons is because there are gaps in the financial outcomes between different groups of people. Mm -hmm. So there's a wealth gap between women and men. In many cases, it has to do with time in your careers and things like that. Sometimes there's a gap because of care for smaller children. But in reality, women live longer typically as a group, of course, than men. They often end up with the money at the end. And so they need the ability to make decisions. And they also, you know, it makes sense to close that gap as women are more and more educated. And the same goes for looking at Bureau of Labor Statistics data on median net worths of groups of people. If you are in a black household and you have a college degree, the net worth is similar to the median white household income for those that have a high school diploma. 
It's from a really great blog post that we'll put in our show notes that just looks at Bureau of Labor, Labor Statistics data and sur- survey of communi- consumer finances from as recently as 2016 mm-hmm. by Nick Maguli called the racial wealth gap. I know that there are systemic changes that need to occur that are in conversation, but I think there's a ground up change that can occur when people use financial planning, financial advice, and and get access to financial literacy tools, Mm -hmm. which is not just something for people who have no money. It's for something for everyone. Yeah, definitely for everyone at every stage. And it's interesting. um, I was reading a study that basically said that, you know, a lot of this inequity, um, there are several different reasons for the inequity uh, when it comes to wealth. Um, Some of that is driven by income. We know that women make less than about 80, 79 cents to 80 cents on a dollar for every dollar that a man makes. Um, For black women, Mm -hmm. that's even less. So you're talking about 35 to 40 cents on a dollar for what every man makes. Same for Hispanic women. It's a big disparity too. The Hispanic women. So when you think about Hispanic women um, and just overall underrepresented groups, it's around about 40 cents on the dollar. And then you think about, so that's your income. Then you think about what you own. Women own about 32 cents of every dollar that someone else owns. So there is a large gap there. And then when you think about Black women, I think the median wealth for Black women is around $200. And for Latin women, is 100 So that is the, that is the median wealth. And I also read a study that said by, the, by 2050, it's going to be zero. So when you think about that, that, in, that inequity uh, and whatever in the different causes of it, you know, it's definitely not something that's going to be fixed over time. And with the COVID-19 crisis really having a great impact on underrepresented communities, as we're seeing that even unemployment, the jobs report is showing an increase, but not into underrepresented communities, is really what can we do? to address that, that wealth gap, understanding that it is going to be a marathon and not a sprint. And where can we start with educating people at an early age, but also getting them about financial advice and, and getting sure, making sure they have access to financial literacy, but also making certain that as people are moving along in their career, they're also getting paid the same and understanding how they can make their investments work for them. If we can find actionable steps to address inequities and gaps, it's not a zero-sum game. So this doesn't right. hurt you when your community mm-hmm. is healthier and it really is a wellness initiative, mm-hmm. initiative, then all of our systems are healthier. I really see this as a, you know, kind of a way to elevate our communities, each other, everyone in our country, if we can address some of the ways where um, people can accumulate wealth. It'll make yeah. our country wealthier. It, it really does. And, you know, I used to measure success by income. And I used to think that if I made more money, I'll have more money. But wealth is more about more than wages, right? And then having that understanding, that education about how do you, what your assets look like, right? And, and how do you, when you take your assets and you take away your debts, um, it's so much more than the money that we make. Because we also understand too, that even if you look at this disparity, um, racial inequity, that there's a, even if you make the same amount of money, if you are a white household or a black household and Latina, and I'm only using those for examples for this purposes of this conversation, 
that even if you make the same amount of money across the board, you still have a difference in your wealth. There's a lot of different components to that, but I think it is important to know. I've always used in comprehensive financial planning the term mm. the invisible backpack. Mm. And unbeknownst to me, but I've learned recently, that concept was framed in the context of racial inequity mm-hmm. in a paper written in the 90s. I'll include the paper in show notes. I describe to people when they come and meet with me, and this is anyone, that each of you, especially when you're in a relationship, so one member, one partner may have a different context for how they think of money. One person might like to spend money. One person might prefer to save money. We each walk into the room with an invisible backpack. Somebody's backpack may be weighted down with stones. Mm. Somebody's backpack may be empty. And somebody's backpack may have all the resources you need because your parents set up your college fund and they told you to contribute to your 401k as soon as you got through school. And, you know, they're just, it's an invisible guidance that is, is naturally, you know, kind of everything's flowing downhill for you. And so extend that out and think about groups of people where there's less access then, you know, that's frustrating, but it's also to me in conversations, I want to be actionable. Right. So, so what I hope is that when people hear this conversation, they'll recognize that there are advisors and we're trying to get more of them mm-hmm. who are looking to make sure that you have the right tools in your backpack, yeah. regardless of who you are. I hope that that can be a part of the conversation. And I, I hope advise, other advisors are listening as well to recognize that they have the power to help put the right tools in the backpacks. Yeah, I love that analogy, Melissa. And I I recall the very first time that I met a financial advisor. And you talk about how do you start to help to close that gap? First, by just even notice, knowing that you have access to a financial advisor, not a conversation that people even realize. I know when I was in college, I used to think that financial advisor were just only for the ultra wealthy and not realizing that it was for you. It was access for anyone. And then you start talking about some of the taxable benefits when you're working with an advisor and how they can help you navigate that, the, the different opportunities to be able to understand the benefits of knowing what subsidies or tax laws are available to you. Not something that you could pick up on TurboTax, for instance. Right. I don't, know if I, I don't know if I could say that, but you got you got to have access to people who everyone has a job, and some people, you know, financial advisors and financial planners do that better. But just knowing that there are people who are ready to have that conversation is important. But I will also note that you know, for women, you know, childcare um, issues. You know, you're, you're paying for childcare um, in the black community. Is there a distrust for trusting someone to manage your money? Yes. Um, for so many different reasons, but it is that about breaking down those barriers and making access to financial advice much more available. And I think we're in the environment for that. As more people in communities start to access financial advice, there's a snowball effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do people learn about advisors? They learn about them from their friends. Yes. And so that is a powerful opportunity to expand access you know, just make the results earned. It's not just a just trust me thing, but it's earned based on action and results. Yeah. And if you think through the referrals, 
right? When, and even if we look at how we even engage today, just, okay, before we buy things, mostly we look at the reviews. You know, I'm thinking about, you know, if I go yep. on a site and I buy something, I look at the reviews. But if I trust someone and then they say, hey, talk to this financial advisor, I'm more likely to go and have uh, a dialogue and trust that financial advisor because the person that I know and like and trust is moving in that direction. So just making sure that we are connecting with people. Even sometimes I, you know, I'm going to just mention this because I also think it's important in some of the conversations around access is whenever a financial advisor, the reason I met a financial advisor is because one came to my university and Mm -hmm. talked to my class uh, when I was in college. And that's how I knew that, okay, start saving now just making, it doesn't, you don't need to have thousands of dollars to make that initial investment. And I remember back in the day, there were savings like book club, I mean, savings coupons. And it was like a Christmas club. And then every week you go to the bank and it would be a coupon. I'm dating myself here, but it'd be a coupon and you put $20 and you, and at the end of like holiday time, you'd have an amount of money and that would be used for Christmas shopping. Mm -hmm. I use that that was my first way of savings. I used that first investment to help me fund my first mutual fund. Um, Love it. And that, but having that access, that was for me early in the beginning. And then I was realizing that, oh, wait, I can do this and invest over time. But if it wasn't for that first meeting, if it wasn't for that financial advisor coming into my university and having that conversation, I don't think that I would be one, open to it or, or know about it, but also wouldn't have been able to be so actionable. So I do think it's important to get into the universities and schools as financial planners um, and financial advisors, but also even maybe high school. I never had that um, when our business class was uh, typing. I agree. I think that the earlier you can access and just mm-hmm. and provide just basic information, it's transformative. And yes. you described a journey where Financial planning is not, and financial advice is not a single momentary action. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a collection of good decisions, right. hopefully better because you have access to professional advice. And that access is so, is so key. And I would also add that you have access to that professional advice, but you have an advisor that's willing to meet you where you are at and talking to you in the way in which you understand and building a relationship of trust that's going to help you to navigate through that journey, which women yeah. do so well, by the way. At my, at my office, <laughs> we, have a, we have a sign that says financial planning for real life. And mm-hmm. I like to tell people that we're not here to see you on a good hair day. You can tell me the real thing that's going on. You don't have to go put on a false sense of self. Mm-hmm. I really want to meet the real you. And I want to hear, as, once you trust me, what is keeping you up at night? What, where are you having anxiety? We talk about financial shame a lot in conversations Mm -hmm. early on working with clients because so many people need affirmation. Even when they have extraordinary educations, they're doing a great job. Mm -hmm. They don't know it because they haven't been able to benchmark themselves as you're able to do in so many other aspects of your life. And if you only see kind of the external, you can feel really less than when you compare yourself to your neighbors. And what a lot of people don't realize is that a lot of people only are displaying wealth and there's nothing left at the end of the month in their accounts. That is very true. And 
it's funny that you say that, uh, you know, I, I was having a chat not too long ago with um, some of my friends around, you know, with this whole virtual world that we're in and uh, with COVID, um, a lot of people were shopping, right? Yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, early on they're shopping and then you realize where you're going, you can't really go anywhere. So then everyone kind of converted to, okay, we're not going to spend any money. And then mm-hmm. how much money that you save, because you realize too, that those external the things that we buy to make us feel good is really for other people. Because for us, you realize that you're really just doing it for a show and for other I'm dressing people. up for other people. Yeah, yeah, you're dressing up for other people. Now, don't get me wrong. I like a good dress. But when we were forced to be comfortable, I, I wear heels a lot. I've not worn heels since the last time I saw you. I've been wearing my <laughs> um, You did have some great shoes that yeah. day. <laughs> Thank you. But it's really about the the internal, and sometimes you'll meet a person that you don't think is wealthy that are, is more much more wealthy than the person that you see that has all of the things. Yeah, so, that has the bins in the garage, and yeah. you know the the purse that you've cars. always dreamed of that you'll never be able to purchase. Yeah, right. So just kind of looking at it, and, and then stop comparing ourselves, which is a life lesson, but also one is a very financial. All of our experiences and all of the things that we're facing in our lives and especially in our financial lives are very individual. Um, and, and I think too, that that's part of the hesitation. It's, a per- it's so personal. It's so scary to be able to share, but that's why the role of, you know, the work that you do and, and many other advisors is really about building that relationship and helping individuals feel very uh, supported um, in, in their journey. So, so that's, that's perfect. so great. So I want to wrap up our conversation because I could talk about this for days. Maybe oh, we'll have a second episode someday. Yeah, I love this. Yeah. But I want to wrap it up by talking about some actions. If you're mm-hmm. listening and, you know, first, hopefully this last, the last 10 minutes has told you that the doors are open. And if you're looking for financial plan, financial advice mm-hmm. that don't feel empowered to advocate for yourself, invest in yourself mm-hmm. and take the next step to talk to, interview, and hire a financial advisor. But I wanted to close with a conversation about being an ally. And I saw a tweet yesterday from Minda Hartz, who we both like what she has to say. She wrote a wonderful book that I consider a career advice book for anyone, but it's especially written to black women called The Memo, which was Mm -hmm. just, uh, as far as I'm concerned, the best book that I read on business in 2019. Mm-hmm. And so she said in her tweet, allyship requires something from you. It's giving folks things that cost you something. It's pushing the envelope. Anything else is performative. And she goes on to say in the tweet, it costs black people everything to stay alive. Really powerful yes, conversation powerful. put into less than 180 characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But allyship has certainly been on my mind. And I'll tell you when it started for me. Of course, well, not of course, but I learned a lot about being an ally through the um, gay rights movement and Mm -hmm. advocating for marriage equality. Mm -hmm. And in conversations on Women Financial Advisor Council, at some point, I looked around the room and said, we've all been gathering women in the room to talk to other women about how everything needs to change and here's what needs to happen. We're 15% of the profession and and less of a percentage when you look at leadership. We are not going to get anywhere if we just talk to each other because we're already bought in and we've done as much as we can. 
I mean, we'll keep doing things. We'll we'll keep looking for opportunities. But this conversation needs to be externalized so that we talk to the amazing men in our lives who really care about this and they they need action ideas. And so certainly allyship is something that's a conversation today. And it does cost you if you speak up. If you're in a meeting on a committee that is really nice people, but everyone is white, and you say, we need, this is, this doesn't look right. That's a cost. That's a, you, you're challenging the conversation. Maybe it would be well-received this week, but it's not well-received every week. Oh, yeah. Um, or years ago, right? Like, you know, when I always say, if someone is willing to put up some, the best investment you can make in for me was to be able to put up political capital to help me to move forward. And that is a statement, if you think about 10, 15, 20, 25 years ago, that most people weren't having um, in boardrooms um, about bringing women into the conversation, about bringing people of color or minorities into the conversation. Um, but you definitely put up some political capital when you say or you advocate for someone. And many women, especially in our careers, if you think about it, we, we support one another as women, but we have had men in our lives that have supported us in our journeys, who have mentored us and you know given us uh, just sharing insights and wisdom because there are conversations that we may not be part of that we need to really understand. And I think early in my careers, the, the many men that helped me to even learn how to, a girl from a Southern, a girl from Southern New Jersey going to Wall Street, I definitely needed, <laughs> I didn't know how to navigate. Um, but someone that speaks up for you and is willing to help you and, and navigate you through those conversations, that that is a, a form of allyship that um, that I'm al- I've always been appreciative of. But I think that that's the kind of voices that we need um, in this world because the majority certainly can help guide the minority in these conversations, and not just minority of race, but those that are unrepresent- underrepresented in the area. And I think there's a distinction between being a mentor, someone who's willing to talk someone in a closed room and being a sponsor, someone who's willing. I I think of a um, a really important mentor to me, Dan Boyce, who at a certain point in my career, when I really had the opportunity to elevate but needed some doors open, he went Mm -hmm. to people, one conference in particular, and said, I think Melissa should be attending this conference. Can Mm -hmm. you please invite her. And he is some of his political capital. He's got skin in the game then. I need to represent well. And also, you know, he didn't have to do that. That's an extra like errand that he did not need to run. So I have benefited from sponsorship, from mentorship, from people who are extraordinary allies, people who would do things for me that, you know, that may not be their passion, but they don't see why they can need to say no. And so I, I just think it's important as you're thinking about how do we change things over time? How do we address the wealth gap? For people listening, be an ally and encourage people to reach out to a financial advisor. If you're in our field, be an ally and diversify your network and find people who you think are exceptional and find ways to make their path a little bit um, either easier or find ways to accelerate or amplify or elevate their opportunity set. Yeah, that's, I, I love that you said that. And, and it's real because when I think about the mentors that I've had in my life, they've given me advice. They said, okay, here's what you need to do. Here's how you need to do it. But the sponsors, they have advocated for me. Um, there's a great saying that um, someone that I know that's an executive at a firm, and he says, if you're, if you're not at the table, you're on the table. 
And what that means is that if someone is not there for you, if your issues are not at the table, it's going to get moved. Um, so the advocate, someone that can advocate for you when you're not in the room, um, someone that can help you and really giving up some of their privilege to support you is really meaningful when, when you have a sponsor. So while I'm a big advocate for, I'm a big for mentorships, sponsorship, yes. sponsorship moved the needle. It's a whole um, nother level. For, for me, that's another level and is active. Sponsors are active. That is a way to get really actionable um, and make the shift. So even if you think about those individuals who are looking about, okay, how do I get into this field? How do I do this? You, you definitely want to move from, from mentorship and, and sponsorship. And there's room in this career field for both. I, I'm not going to say you don't need both, but at, you, you probably will agree. I mean, but sponsorship is really what t- takes things to the next level. Yeah, I think there's a time for both. So you need to be willing to ask for what you need yeah. at the right time. Know the room, do your networking before the moment that you need it. Mm-hmm. So we probably both had times in our careers where we're like, I really need to look up the Rolodex and say, yeah. <laughs> who can help me? And I'm not as shy about asking because I'm also not shy about giving. Right. So uh, use your yeah. network to your advantage. And it's easier. I mean, you said the Rolodex and that's essentially how it started. We all started, like, I know I started, I still have it somewhere like with the cards and like leaving little notes and index cards where I would write little notes around who I met. Um, Networking is so responsible now, but it's also the responsibility of people to not expect that a sponsorship will happen overnight. Sponsorships are also built on relationships over time. In a mentoring relationship, you build, it's a two-way street. I know for the mentors in my life, I hope that I I bring value to them as well and perspective. But a sponsorship, they operate at a different level. And I don't know about you, but the sponsor that I have, they they found me. Um, Just sometimes you don't even realize that they're there and they're willing to advocate for you. But I would definitely just encourage people to network. It's so much easier now. LinkedIn is a wonderful platform. I always say five minutes, spend at least five minutes on LinkedIn every day, networking. I say five on five. So network five minutes a day, at least for five days a week um, on LinkedIn and build relationships and then cultivate those relationships. And ultimately they may lead to sponsorships or maybe someone that you know that has known you and knows your work that chooses to advocate for you on your behalf. But there's definitely a lot of benefits, but I, I would definitely say sponsorship takes you to another level. People probably think that everyone's knocking down the door to talk to a powerful woman like you, Renee. And I know you're super busy, like you have no time, but it's amazing. If you get up in front of a room full of people and you say, you can reach out to me if you need something, how many people will come up after the session and talk to you? And then how many people will take the time to follow up when you say, you can shoot me an email? Like I, the ones who are persistent to do those two things have one conversation and then you, that one conversation isn't enough to be in your network. You need a second, you need a second connection, but that's all it takes as far as I'm concerned. Of course, there's going to be the people that you really connect with and stay in touch with. But if you've had two, two times where you've sat down, that's all it takes. And there's so few people that follow through on that. So be the person, be the, you know, kind of squeaky wheel. I, I, it's so funny that you said that. I, I consider myself, a, and thank you for a compliment, I don't see myself that way. I just like, I'm just a, I'm very open and I love to engage. I know and, that, but you know, uh, I'm saying, but, but like, you know. No, but, but, it's, but I, I say that because what happens is at my phone number, I've had the same number for, for years. My phone number, I share it. I share my email. 
Um, I teach at a university and I'll say to my students about 60 or so, I am here if you need me, email me. I will never not have time for you. And I always say, not all, I can do that because I know that not all of you will follow up on this. And how many times to your point has, you know, I'm, I remember meeting a very powerful woman earlier in my career, for instance, and got her phone number and she says, just call me, I'm here. And I was so intimidated about it that I didn't do it. I didn't do it. And they gave me their phone number and said, call me. And for me not to capitalize on that is certainly something that I see a lot of people do in their, in their lives. Two, just, we're going to have to wrap up, but I could talk forever, but two things that I would suggest. One, if you're that person who's afraid to reach out, like we both were, Renee, then Mm give yourself the challenge that you have to do it. Like go to the conference and say, I'm going to talk to somebody powerful and you, you won't be shot down. So do that. And then number two, make a commitment to invest in yourself by diversifying that network and spreading things out. So if you're um, like many of my friends, white financial advisor, connect with someone who's different than you. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, just make sure that you're doing the action if you feel compelled to be sympathetic to the need for a change. Also take action. Yes, absolutely. And I'll say, think too about if you're considering um, meeting with a financial advisor uh, that you, you know, talk to your friends, talk to the people that you know, love and trust and consider the right person for you in, in, in your life. Um, and think outside of the box there. But also if you're considering a career as a financial advisor, just to look into it and expose your op- expose your experience to someone who may not know about it in that same vein and help them understand that this is a very noble, wonderful profession for everyone to consider. But we really need to see more women um, and more underrepresented groups in this profession, which is a wonderful profession to be part of. Spread the word. Thank you all to all of our listeners for doing that. And Renee, thank you for for being a great friend. And thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. It's been a great conversation. And thank you for your time, for your space, for your voice, and for your allyship and friendship. I really, really appreciate you. You can access our first eight episodes now, and we'll be releasing new episodes each Monday. For more information, visit pearlplan.com or our Facebook page, Pearl Planning Wealth.